0: Front office, please hold.
1: The front office podcast is back at you for another week. And as always, the front office podcast is brought to you by our pals at the smoke shack and BTP Smokehouse don't forget to enter the promo code FOP10 at checkout at the 250 city center location for 10% off of your online order. So for anyone who's tuning in this week to hear Kevin Jett, I regret to inform you that they will not be joining us tonight. So for the first time ever, we are diving outside of our comfort zone, but you know, probably less stressful for me to get those two idiots off the air so I apologize to all five of their fans who tune in every week to listen to them. But in their stead, we've got two absolute beauties who are so gracious to jump on and co-host with me this week. So first of all, we've got the man behind four different podcasts, website creations. He, he writes for the Ottawa Blackjacks. He, he's, he's a man of all trades. And he's the man behind the scenes of the front office podcast as well the host of the Dine Sports Podcast and the Dynasty League Podcast, Mr. Kyle Skinner.
0: Thanks for having me on, making my big league debut here.
1: Well, I figured you have to listen to us every week to do, you know, do the last minute editing. So you might as well jump on and you know actually uh, get a voice of opinion for once.
0: So all, all the edits I can make this week will be my own screw ups. Then <laughs> that's of that's it.
1: That's yeah. it. You can kind of pay yourself back.
0: Yeah, there, there you go. But do I have to bring in five listeners there? Those are some big shoes to be filling. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, well, it's two and a half because, I mean, that's that's between the two of them. So if you bring in two and a half additional listeners, then I'll be happy. Beautiful. And uh, secondly, we, we've got him off the fishing boat for the first time since he's since he's called it quits on the retirement. Ottawa Red Black legend, Mr. Brad Sinopoli. Great call there, by the way. I actually
2: fished this morning, <laughs> so I could be here tonight.
1: There you go. So,
2: and I didn't catch any fish this morning. Uh, so I'm sure well. someone's. No, it's okay. It was a bad day for fishing, is what I say. I'm trying to figure out too. Who am I filling in? Whose personality am I filling in? Jet? Am I filling in Kevin? That's going to be a tough one. And you only have to worry about one other listener because I'm one of them and I'm on the show. So there's only one more
1: out there. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Well, you know, it's kind of hard to peg which one of you suits, you know, the, the original hosts more, uh, more adequately, but let's just say you're both better than both of them. So, We'll we'll move on and we'll just have a hell of a show tonight. But uh, you know, Brad, that was your chance to lie to everybody and say you caught ten muskie this morning. You broke a record. Like it, this we're on we're on you know podcast. You don't have to worry about showing your evidence. That's true, but then you forget that there's Instagram. (laughs) Usually, (laughs) if you catch a fish,
2: you post it. So if you didn't. Usually that's not a day you caught 10 fish. You okay. wouldn't keep that a
1: secret. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's when you Photoshop pictures from 15 years ago when you had, you know, full that's head of true. hair. And... <laughs> <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> <There
2: you go.
1: laughs> All right. So fellas, again, thank you so much for, uh, for coming through in the clutch for us tonight and, uh, and hopping in for the, for the two lads. So we'll get things kicked off. And obviously the Olympics just ended and, As fucked up as this year's Olympics were, and if you want to say the last two years, because it was delayed a year, they actually had a lot of memorable moments. And we talked about it the last two weeks, but, you know, maybe I'll kind of go around the horn with each of you and you can give me, what was one moment that really stood out to you guys in the 2021 Olympics? So Kyle, over to you.
0: Well, I think the easy answer is how the women tended to show up and uh, some of our male athletes seem to be forgotten at home there. So kudos to all the women who uh, not only medaled, but even just missed the podium. I felt like there was a lot of uh, fourth place finishes and all that as well, too. So for me, it it had to be the soccer game. Obviously, Canada winning gold, (laughs) mostly because it wasn't at four in the morning and I could actually watch it live. So uh, that that was a big one. But I think also because I got to watch it with my daughter. Now, my daughter's five years old, so she's got the attention span of a gnat. So she got to see bits and pieces of it there. But uh, I mean, it's the best you can do when they're that age and a little ADD. But I I still like the Bill Murray theory that there should be one just average Joe who competes in every event, just for like a point of reference. (laughs) You can see like, even though like, oh, he finished last in his heat. But here comes Tim, still ten <laughs> seconds behind him in the hundred meter dash. The, the, that's the one thing I, I'm going to hold out for. That still needs to improve going forward. But uh, definitely Christine Sinclair and all the uh, ladies out there. Tip of the cap to them.
1: I uh, I wasn't able to watch the game, but I was listening to it in the radio um, in my uh, in my Jeep, and I had to stop and pull over because of how tense that shootout was. I literally was going to crash into a building if I if I kept driving, but um, you know, going to your, to your average Joe point. I don't know if you guys have seen the, uh, the ads, like kind of like the parody ads for like the regular Joe Olympics in 2032, where it's just like, you know, uh, tandem belly flop and they've got like the, like the, the pizza ordering. Like it was just a bunch of r- random stuff, but I, I think that would honestly be the best thing that could ever happen in the world of sports. And, you know, very apropos to what, you know, me and the guys were talking about last week with which event we could compete in if we had four years to train which if you haven't listened to it, everybody, go back and listen to the last 15 minutes at least of that show. I have never laughed so hard in my life with how fucking stupid we all sound because there's <laughs> no way we would even compete in anything. But um, Brad, over to you, man. What, what really stood out to you with the, with the Olympics?
2: Yeah, I would say, um, you know, going on, uh, going off of the women's soccer, which I know was a big deal. First of all, beating U.S., uh, and then, of course, um, the shootout, I was listening to it on the boat as well. Uh, and I actually had to stop trolling because the motor was louder than what I could hear <laughs> the game. So when it got into the shootout, we stopped and we sat on the river and listened. And uh, I just want to make a point of when the Swedish captain missed over the net. I remember when I was really young, I can't remember exactly now the year, when Baggio So I'm Italian. Of course you're watching. Yes. 94. Of course, you know what he missed over the net. It was like the worst thing in the (laughs) Italian household. I was with my, my grandparents. So I felt for her when that happened, I really felt it through the radio. That was, uh, it was tough, but I'm not going to say them. I'm going to go with Damien Warner. And I'm going to say this because, um, I remember his first Olympics that he was in. And usually, uh, people are good at most of the events when they go to the Olympics in the decathlon, you could see his first Olympics that like, you know, there was a couple of events, pole vault, there was things that he wasn't natural at, but he was really good at, at, at other events. You know, he's a sprinter, he's a long jumper. Um, he struggled in the throwing events, but to see the progression from those Olympics to the next Olympics, and then to finally come through and actually get to the point where you're winning gold and going over nine thousand, um, I think is incredible because it's, you know, it, it's hard to master one if you think about it. And there was a few events that he would have been in the finals, right? Like he would have been in the finals of the hundred, um, you know. So it's not just I know now the decathlon is kind of. don't say it's lost its luster of like you're the best athlete in the world but i don't think people look at it like they used to i think because of how other people in other events you know usain bolt it's like no that's the best athlete like what he did in the 100 and the 200 um so i don't know I, i feel like if you look at what he did it was incredible just to see the progression and uh and on the track normally we're not that good the fact that we won a 200 um, you know, usually in the sprints, I mean, you go back to what uh, Donovan Bailey really, right, in the 4 by one team. Um, you know, so it just feels good, and we, I, I can't remember now uh, the other Canadian. His name just escaped my mind. Bruni Cern? No, no, no. The other Canadian, in this uh, decathlete. He's a decathlete in this oh, year's Olympics. Um, yeah, the, the French guy. The French guy, yes. Yeah, uh, I forgot his name too. <laughs> Lepage, I think it's Lepage or something. Lepa- Lepage, yes, that's yeah. right. Um he kind of reminds me of Damien Warner when he was just beginning. Right? So like I think the future is bright in athletics. Um and that's exciting because that's I love watching athletics and I love any time that a Canadian was uh in an event that wasn't a long distance event. So Absolutely. Um something to look forward to.
1: Yeah. And I think that the fact that it was ending off the Olympics, you know, that was kind of like the lasting impression that people had of, of Canada's performance, right? It was Damian Warner just running the show at the decathlon? And, you know, you made mention of he would have qualified for the 100 meter final. Like, you know, this, this is a guy who has an argument to say he's the best athlete in the world, right? Absolutely. Like everything yeah. he's able to do. And I mean, I think if you put him on that four by 100 meter team, we probably compete for silver. Probably. You wouldn't it's, notice. It. I was just going to say, anybody who watched those races, we really fell behind with that third leg. And then as soon as DeGrasse got it, he was always, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh. And then he gained, you know, he gained ground to make sure that we qualified and then eventually meddled. And right, and on that note, I mean, I, I, I got to go with Andre DeGrasse. I mean, that that ability to close in every single final that he competes in is so overwhelmingly impressive the guy competes year-round in the diamond league the world championships you know what's the uh uh, the north american one i forget but every time he is has been in a championship race he has medaled whether it be bronze silver or gold Every time he's never not once medaled when he's racing a championship race, and that is so impressive to me. Especially when you take into account, like I just said, in the four by one hundred meter, he has to rely on three other guys in order to get him in a position to you know to medal. And ultimately, it came down to him busting his ass to make sure that they actually all got a medal. So, with the performance he put on, running a personal best in the one hundred meter, and then going and absolutely you know, impressing everybody with the 200 meter gold and then coming back and winning gold or winning bronze in the by 100 meter. I mean, the guy just has so much athleticism and, and so much, you know, compete in him that he refuses, you know, to not medal in any of those things. So, you know, you look at the Canadian soccer team, Damian Warner, Andre de Grasse. I mean, we're not even talking about Penny Alexiak, who's the most decorated Olympian in history. Canada is just in such good hands right now as, as a whole because not only was it impressive, but they actually broke the record for the most medals ever won in a non-boycotted games for a Canadian team. So, I mean, it was, it was something to see for sure. Okay, so moving on. One thing that we do every week, guys, is we always do a a weird weekly wager. So we always bet on something in the sports world that's kind of outside what normal people would bet on, and we bet something stupid. So I actually have to, you know, take a shot of Tabasco sauce on our next show that we have the two guys on as part of my lost wager from two weeks ago. But I'm not going to, you know, set you guys up to have to partake in any type of those stupid challenges. So we'll just make a friendly wager this week. But, you know, we can do some, you know, chirping on social media. So what I wanted to do is because the red blacks are off this week in the CFL. So Brad, you don't have any conflict of interest here. (laughs) I want to know who are you taking from a quarterback perspective, who is going to throw for the most yards this upcoming week in the CFL. So you got a choice of every quarterback in the league besides Matt Nichols. Well,
2: okay. So I'll, I'll throw it out there only because I think for me, Uh, maybe there's a little bias, maybe not, but I think when you play with someone, uh, there's a little bit more belief. I'm going to go with Trevor Harris. Okay. I know that he still threw for over 300 last game. Um, but I think the three interceptions, the fact that the offense stalled, you know, they had trouble in the red zone. Um, just knowing him paired with, all of the other guys that were also red blacks on that team <laughs> on offense and uh, Elizondo. I just know that usually when there's a game like that, they are typically come back with a lot better game. So I, 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 uh, I got to go with Trevor. So uh, hopefully
1: all right. just no three interceptions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't matter about interception. Let's talk about yards um (laughs) all right so brad's going with his boy with the edmonton elks kyle
0: well if i have to go with someone i played football with there we're we're talking about like used car salesmen and uh cooks (laughs) all all of that at this point so uh i'll i'll go with go with jeremiah masoli out in hamilton there that's a good game against saskatchewan this week and uh you know, I, I think, I think they, you can put up some solid numbers and is probably not thrilled with the results of week one for them. A
1: solid pick. A solid pick. Well, you know, after watching that absolute lopsided yet barn-burning game with Saskatchewan and BC last week, I really don't have any faith in the BC Lions defense as I actually have been wearing one of their shirts. So I'm going to go with another one of your buddies, Brad. With Bo Levi. And I think that with BC's defense looking like a, a little bit of a sore spot this early in the season, I think Bo Levi is prime for you know for one of those early, early in the season, you know, huge 450 yard games and you know a couple of touchdowns. So I'm gonna put Bo Levi and put the stamp on him. He's gonna lead the the CFL in passing this week. It's a good pick, too. All so right.
0: What what are the picks here? Oh, I feel like I'm gonna lose. What are the stakes?
1: <laughs> so, so here's what we'll do, okay? So, Kyle, if you win, Brad and I will come on the Dine Sports podcast and admit defeat.
0: <laughs> not for an interview. Not no. for a second. no. No. He's no. no. coming out for thirty seconds. Second he's coming out for thirty
1: seconds. I lost to yeah. Kyle in a bet. Come on, and throw <laughs> for 30
0: seconds on
1: air. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we'll do that. Brad, if you win, so I, I know that you've already asked us to go out and fish with you while we record, and I absolutely want to do that, but what we'll do is if if you win, you can take us out fishing, but Jethro has to de-hook the fish every time. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be easy. Hopefully we get one to de hook.
0: Yeah,
1: that's okay. That's okay. We, we, so jet has to de-hook every fish that we catch. I
0: feel like jet's just okay. gonna be showing like a pair of symbols or something trying to scare every fish away.
1: <laughs> All right. And, uh, and and if I win, um, let's just uh, let's just say that you guys both have to go on your respective social medias and crown the front office podcast as the king of uh, of picking CFL quarterbacks.
0: It's <laughs> a very official title. Huh? Very official. Very kidding. official. Thank God I, I only have one social like, media. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> All right, so we can put that on the board for this week. All right. So again, I wanted to keep things as as consistent as possible from all of our uh, all of our episodes. So in lieu of Kevin Kelly's angry grinding beans segment, we're gonna take a little bit of a turn and we're gonna go on the lighter side of sports and we're gonna go with Kyle with the inaugural edition of Schoolin with Skinner.
2: Schoolin with Skinner
0: can't wait to hear what soundbite that's going to be there. But... All <laughs> so right.
1: Kyle, Kyle, why don't you explain what Schooling with Skinner is going to be about first before you get into it?
0: Yeah, schooling with Skinner, as I've been told <laughs> what it's going to be, is <laughs> essentially taking a look at a what-were-they-thinking moment this past week in the wide world of sports. And so this one, actually, we are going to go to the NBA. So NBA, as you will know, is not even in season right now. They've got the Summer League going on there's a very influential book written long ago called how to win friends and influence people and you know who didn't get a copy of that book obviously in his childhood is our good friend Goran Dragic who has just been <laughs> traded to the Toronto Raptors and is putting on a masterclass right now on how not to make a good first impression on people 101 so for those that missed it he essentially went and told Slovenian reporters, assuming I guess that people don't have access to the internet and can look these things up, that Toronto is not my preferred destination. I have higher ambitions. So he obviously got traded over to Toronto from the Miami Heat. Now with a quote like that, it's essentially the equivalent of pissing in the office coffee pot, like on day one at a new job. Not a great way to endear yourself to fans, to teammates, to the people who have to write your checks at the end of the day. So he obviously says that these remarks were taken out of context and, oh, I didn't mean it like that. But, you know, when it's a quote that is that sort of cut and dry this isn't a oh i put the emphasis on the wrong syllable and then therefore you guys just inferred it wrong it's kind of obvious what you were getting at there I, you know he was hoping for filet mignon and essentially got served burger king and is now throwing a fit about it but hopefully you guys aren't trying to work on a burger king sponsorship or something like that because <laughs> otherwise i'll have to edit that part out but i i mean like these are the types of oopsie moments that you would expect out of a rookie out of a second year player in the league, maybe someone who came from a small college who didn't do a lot of media training or anything like that, not out of a 13 year NBA veteran who is 35 years old. So it's the worst kept secret in basketball right now for those who don't know that Dragic either wanted to stay in Miami or get traded to the Dallas Mavericks because Because his best friend just happens to be Luka Doncic, who is also Slovenian and was probably making similar remarks to uh, the same Slovenian reporters who broke the Dragic news in the first place there. But at the end of the day, you got to realize Toronto, they've got an NBA championship. Goran does not. Toronto is consistently ranked as one of like the top 10 NBA destinations. As far as you talk to any former pro, they're like, what city did you enjoy going to the most? Toronto was always in everyone's top 10. Some of them even had it like top five, top three. There were a couple of players think Jalen Rose said it was his favorite city of all time. So it's not like you're getting traded to Cleveland or, you know, Milwaukee or Detroit whose housing market has completely collapsed. Like, you're going to a pretty decent city here and not to mention you've got Masai Ujiri who's leading the front office, is best friends with Obama, probably has him on speed dial, is doing all sorts of you know these things hobnobbing with world leaders and all of that and you've got Dragic who was essentially involved in a sign and trade. So for those who don't know what a sign and trade is because it's kind of unique to the NBA, it's essentially the equivalent of Lowry had already signed with the Miami Heat. However, due to financial maneuverings and teams not being able to offer certain amounts of money and luxury tax implications and da da, da da, they essentially form a trade to send people back the other way. So for someone who has such high ambitions of where he wants to go in his life, the, the Miami Heat thought so highly of him that they essentially paid the Raptors to take him off their hands for them. So At the end of the day, it really comes down to our good friend Goran, who has now actually updated his Twitter bio, and he is now a proud member of the Toronto Raptors. So he's eating a little crow on social media there. But our good friend Goran has to realize that if you're going to be mad at someone at the end of the day at age 35, maybe be mad at your agent for not including a no movement clause in your contract when you're 35 years old and coming towards the tail end of your career, Rather than getting mad at the team who took you on essentially as a throw in so that they could bring in another late 30s point guard to replace your production in Miami. And that is schooling with Skinner. <laughs>
1: That's fantastic. And, and, you know, I don't know if anyone knows this, but fuck you in Slovenian actually is an endearing term. So <laughs> when he was saying that to Toronto, he actually said, I love Toronto. But- yeah. Yeah, I I, I think <laughs> every Raptors fan who saw that it's basically just like okay, I don't give a shit. Like you're you're an irrelevant part of the trade. You're just here to match salary. You know, we're we're gonna flip you for something anyway. So again, I, I wouldn't be concerned about it. You know, obviously he's he's not. It's not like LeBron James is getting traded here and saying, well, I don't want to go to Toronto. That would be a dagger to the heart. But you know, you're looking at a guy who's in his late thirties. He's still chasing a championship. You know, he he wants to retire somewhere where he's comfortable. And, like, I get it. But, yeah, like, don't say it's taken out of context. If you don't want to be here, just say you don't want to be here, man. <laughs> like, no one's going to hold it against you. Don't come back. Like, I'm actually more disappointed that he made that bullshit apology because everyone knows it's bullshit. Like, there's no chance in hell
0: that you want to come to Toronto. Like, no one, no one believes it. And the irony is, I'm pretty sure the feeling is mutual. I don't think, had it not been for the complex layers of NBA contracts and matching salaries and this, that, and the other, I'm not sure that at this stage of the rebuild, Toronto is interested in taking on a 35-year-old Slovenian who is used to a warm weather climate. (laughs)
2: How awkward is that first day going to be, though, when he shows up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just just for everyone else knowing what he said, you know, like, well, he said sorry, though, at
1: least. So <laughs> give him that. <laughs> he's, see, he's embracing Canada already. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Now, until winter hits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it can't be any more awkward than Kawhi Leonard's first interview as a Raptor. That was by far the most cringeworthy <laughs> moment in sports. Um, but he's forgiven because he won a championship. So it's that's all right. That's right.
0: <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> on in infamy for memes for the next twenty years plus. <laughs> Kawhi's
1: given us so much with the seven months that he was actually in Canada. That was great. No, fantastic. So now moving on to another portion of, uh, of our podcast where Jethro normally chimes in with some, you know, rehab and injury prevention advice and, you know, analyzing the world of, of sports injuries. We're going to take it in another direction. And because my man Brad is such, you know, a fantastic fisherman and that is something that he prides himself as being we're gonna jump on over to Brad's Bait Shop and get some fishing advice for anyone this week who's looking to get out on the lake. Brad's Bait Shop. Oh, I'm excited. Brad's Bait Shop. Sorry for anyone that was looking
2: to better their body from Jethro. <laughs> but this week we're gonna be talking about ripping some lips. So I got a couple things. Number one, I'm gonna talk about bait selection. So it's pretty easy if you've fished before whether you're fishing for walleye, bass, musky, pike, there's always lures that are the staple lures, right? So I don't know if you fish, either of you, but if you do, you probably have some go-to lures that everyone uses. I'm going to say, and what I try to do is do the exact opposite. I am a weird fisherman. If you go out with me, you're going to be like, what the hell are we doing? And I'm saying exactly exactly. That's what we want the fish to be thinking. If you throw the same thing that every single person is throwing, especially as summer or the fishing season moves on, those fish have seen those lures over and over. Now, if you're talking bass though, bass are pretty stupid. So you're probably going (laughs) to trick a bass with the same thing over and over again. You could throw anything and the bass is probably going to eat it, but I'm mostly talking musky. So if you're thinking about musky fishing, um, go with something different and weird. Everyone uses bucktails. Everyone uses spinners. They do work. I'm not saying that they don't work. However, at this point, uh, they've seen it. They've probably looked at it and probably have said, eh, I'm good. So now it's time to change it up. So, uh, I've been using baits that are mainly only for the fall and have been throwing them and had some good success so far. So anyways, that's my theory for now. It's, Luck if it happens once or twice, and then kind of becomes a theory if it happens maybe a few more times. Uh, So that's where I'm at right now. So it's a theory. It's working. I'm going to stick with it and go with it. The second thing I'm going to say is on days that people we've all said it to, you go out, you know, you get nothing. I even said it today. The first thing I was on here, I said the fish, they weren't biting today. I'm going to say that's bullshit. (laughs) that is not a thing that just means that today you sucked and you couldn't find the fish the fish always bite it just meant that you were fishing in the wrong area so always remember if you're going out there there are no spots per se so people always say oh i got a really good walleye spot i got a really good bass spot good musky spot fish have fins for a reason they move they move every day there are some spots of course that are really good like if you lived in a really nice house you wouldn't want to leave right until there's a reason to leave so fish are the same if there's a reason to leave they had to leave whether it's weather uh, whether it got caught a lot of times fish get caught and then never go back to that spot so it's not your fault if some other guy caught the fish the day before Uh, but in saying that just move around always think there's no spots that just meant that they picked up They're somewhere else they could be 10 feet away they could be 100 feet away but they're somewhere else. So always remember if someone says to you that the fish weren't biting and it's the fish's fault, it's not, it's the fisherman's fault. They suck. And that's Brad's baits for
1: the week.
0: <laughs>
1: Beautiful. And, and, you know, to kind of take your analogy and move it over to a football side of things, it's like a receiver saying, it's not my fault that I didn't catch the ball. The quarterback sucks. And he threw it in my hands <laughs> right. and I didn't catch it, but it's his fault. Um, that, that's awesome, man. Um, and again, anyone who's who's looking to get any fishing advice or you know getting out and trying fishing for the first time, honestly go follow Brad's social media. He always has some great stuff on there. He posts all the fish that he catch, and honestly, like you know, he does catch quite a lot of fish. Um, but there's one thing, Brad, that I wanted to talk to you about. So I saw on one of your stories a couple weeks ago, you were actually using a, a custom spinner that is specifically for you. What is that spinner called? Oh, yes. The Spinopoly.
0: <laughs>
2: it's it's actually, uh, at first, it was kind of a showpiece. It was for uh, charity. And then, well, it's not a showpiece, but, you know, I signed them. It was kind of, uh, I don't think the R was really meant to stay on there. But then people started catching fish on them. And it's actually been my favorite uh, Bucktail for the season. So, Um, that's one of those things, you know, it's like, yeah, here you go. You know, it might work. It might not. And then I put it in the water and it works every time. So, um, that's one of my favorites. I actually had to order more because I had a couple of them get chewed up and get busted. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so there you go. Proof's in the pudding.
0: Awesome. 60% Sixty percent of the time, it's worth <laughs> every time. <laughs>
1: no, we're uh, we're looking forward to uh, to getting out with you, man. I haven't been fishing in a long time, so uh, it'll bring me back a few years, that's for sure. Um, all right, so going to take a break in in the action. Just to mention our, our new sponsor, Human 2.0. Um, anyone who's not familiar with what they do, multi-purpose facility in the in the city of Ottawa. They specialize in, like we're talking about, injury, rehab, um, injury prevention. Um, And actually, you have access to doctors, physiotherapists, chiropractors, movement therapists. It's it's really an all-encompassing facility. And for anyone who wants to register for one of their free classes, you go in, you mention the front office podcast when you're registering, and you will get a second free class on the house. So Human 2.0, go check them out. They'll take care of you. So now, guys, we're going to move on to our actual topic of the week. I know we've been talking about 17 different things already, but this is just the way the show works. We talk about a bunch of shit and, you know, see what turns out. Um, But this week, we actually have a special, you know, topic because... A couple of weeks ago, we had a contest that was running called the owner's box giveaway. And essentially we were trying to get new listeners and whatnot, ran a contest. And one of the, the prizes that the winner got to, you know, um, got to receive was they got to pick a topic for us. So the winner of the owner's box giveaway, Brad LaRock, who is a local guy, uh, coaches football in the community, super, super guy. Um, he, uh, he had the luxury of picking our topic for this week and because it revolves around the Canadian Football League. I thought, you know what, Jet and Kev can't be here. We want to get a guy who's you know maybe you know as adept in the CFL as anybody, and you know, and Kyle.
0: <laughs> so they went and the redhead. <laughs> yeah. I was say and Brad. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, guys, this week the topic is going to center around American football players and their transition to the CFL. So we're talking about moving to a new country, moving to a new city, a new, uh, new rules in regards to football and just all in all, what it's like going from, especially these guys who are playing at these big schools down in the South, like an LSU or a Florida state or an Alabama, and they're coming up here and playing in you know <laughs> Saskatoon or Regina and, you know, in Winnipeg and, you know, in Vancouver, you know, what is it like for these guys to come up here and really, you know, embrace the Canadian experience and how hard is it for them to transition to it? So I'll get it kicked off because, you know, I've got a little bit of experience with this playing, you know, in in the league for a bit as well. And, you know, I think anybody who, who goes through sports at any level, you understand, you know, how, how different it is, even when you change teams. So we all played minor hockey. We all played minor soccer, minor football, minor basketball, whatever it was. When you move up a level, you're going to a different team with new teammates, new coaches, new everything. That's, you know, that's an adaption that you have to make. And when you're looking at it from a professional per, uh, perspective, that's exactly the same thing. You really just have to look at it that way. You're going to a new city, a new team. You know, you've got new teammates, new coaches, new everything. But I think the biggest thing is just the culture shock. You know, and from my experience, I'm a Northern Ontario guy. I come from Sudbury, you know, coming down to Ottawa was a culture shock for me when I came down to play, you know, football at the University of Ottawa, going to a big city for the first time, getting, you know, to know the ins and outs of the city. That was the first big thing for me. And then obviously football secondary, you're learning it from a new, you know, a new coaching staff. You're playing university as opposed to high school. There's a big transition there going from Ottawa to Vancouver from college to the pros i will say was far and away the biggest fucking change i've ever had to experience in my life because anyone who hasn't been to vancouver before that city is wild one you're so close to the ocean there's so much scenery around the rocky mountains are everywhere it's absolutely gorgeous expensive as hell but gorgeous but you venture five minutes outside of Vancouver into that Surrey area or anywhere near there. And now you're looking at, okay, I got to get the fuck out of here instantly. And that's something that I wasn't used to. So just going there was a culture shock. Now from an American perspective, you know, you play with certain guys, some guys come from Ohio. Some guys come from, um, you know, from Wyoming, some guy like, you know, anywhere along the Northern, uh, the Northern borders, that's not going to be as difficult a transition for them because you know, the Northern States are very similar to what we have in Canada in regards to major cities. When you start creeping down into the, you know, into the sunbelt, you know, into the Mississippis, into the Arkansas, the Alabamas. Now you're really starting to get that culture shock. So you got a guy who was born and raised in Biloxi, Mississippi, you know, let's just take that. He played his high school ball in Mississippi. He went to Ole Miss or Mississippi state. That's all he knows is Mississippi. Now imagine he does not get drafted. Doesn't sign a pro contract with the NFL. All of a sudden, his agent calls him and says, hey, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Canadian Football League want to bring you in for a tryout. So now this guy has got to pack up his bags and probably head north, not knowing, one, how diverse and spacious Canada is because they probably think that everything's bulked into one thing. And then I think a lot of the conversations I was having with guys, they were, they were having a lot of trouble adjusting to the climate. It was, it was such a massive thing for them. These guys have played in warm weather their entire life. And even coming up here in the summertime, they're like, shit, it's cold. They're wearing long sleeves. They're standing on the side like they're miserable. It, it, it really is. It's kind of a fucked up thing to see because for me, it's like, man, it's 28 degrees outside. I am I'm disgustingly hot. Whereas 28 degrees for them, it's like, man, this is like, you know, this is like November for me. Like this is, you know, it's just freezing. So, I mean, that's just one aspect of it where, where I really noticed the biggest transition for a lot of these guys was just adjusting to the weather. You know, the weather aspect of things in Canada, just play with people so much. Like, you know, you look in the NFL, you've got the snow games in green Bay, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, like, And that, that's what really, you know, gets that mantra of like, that's hard nose, tough football, you know, grind it out, run the ball. Like that, that's what football is all about. But then you go down and you're watching Tampa Bay play last year. And it's like, you know, those guys can play anywhere. Right. They can really play anywhere. So I think once you get into that habit of, okay, now we're in the league, we're playing in multiple spots, we can actually do that. But again, seeing the biggest change from these guys who have just grown up in one part of the States. And I'm talking about like the Sun Belt in general coming up to Canada, you know, that that's a massive thing for them to adjust to. So now we've got that conversation going, you know, Brad, why don't you take us through a couple of experiences that you've seen for maybe some of your teammates that, you know, stood out to you as how different it is for these guys coming down or coming up from the States to play in the CFL.
2: Yeah. Weather, like you said, is. I mean, you know, it's crazy because uh, you're right. Anyone from the South. So in Calgary, we usually got snow at some point in training camp or some type of wet snow, hail, cold days, usually, right. Cause of the mountains. Um, that always threw guys for a loop that came up because it's the beginning of the season, right? Like you're, you're, they think they're coming up. The season starts in the summer. And then they've heard about cold, right? So they kind of prepare for later. Uh, But at least in Calgary, it hit you as soon as you got there. And then usually in September, when they didn't expect it, all of a sudden it would be snowing. But the biggest thing, you're right, was the sleeves. They would, on super hot days, they'd wear that. I don't think people realize how tough it is to adjust playing into cold weather, even as a Canadian. Like, you know, when I went to Calgary, I hadn't played in anything that I experienced in university, we didn't play long enough. Number one, um, you know, and then the other thing is just the, the climate is completely different. So even as the Canadian, I went out there and I was like, I was taking pictures of snow one day in September. And I remember geo, the equipment guy was like, what are you doing? Like you've seen (laughs) snow, you idiot. You know, I'm like, I know, but it's September, (laughs) you know? So, um, there's, there's that it's interesting because there was even a couple Northern guys. I remember, um, a guy from played at the university of Buffalo came up and was shocked at the weather. And I'm like, you play in Buffalo though, (laughs) you know? So it is, I don't know if they, when they get here too, there's a bit of a mental thing with it where they know that Canada's cold. They know that there's lots of snow. So when it does snow, it, it's like built up a little bit more and it's a bigger deal, even for guys that have experienced it. Um, You know, I remember even a guy like Drew Tate, like, He's played in cold weather games. Um, he's played on the road in, in different games, he's played in bowl games, usually in hot weather. Um, but even playing in Iowa, he's experienced lots of different weather games. And when he came up, like he came to Regina. And I remember him saying his first two years in Regina, like, what the, like, where am I kind of thing, <laughs> right? So it's, it's interesting. Um, the guy in Buffalo, ironically, also, really thought like i was specific remember in skelly he asked me the question but people they live in igloos right like (laughs) not in the city but like outside the city and i'm like dude you you went to the university of buffalo for four years (laughs) a football throw away from the border yeah and you actually still think that you know so very interesting
0: renowned for their geography department (laughs) right
2: He was there for the education. Football was secondary. Yeah. Trust me. <laughs> oh, it just—it's—it's it's very interesting. You—you you meet so many different people. Um, and the other—the—the the last thing is, I didn't experience it, but guys going to Montreal. You know, you think about okay, you came from uh, this area, this school, and and you land in Regina, right? And you think it's the middle of Canada. Um, but imagine you go to Montreal right where you haven't been exposed to uh i mean maybe depending where you come from maybe you're you're exposed to spanish or but like not french not like that right um you know so all in all though i would have to say that a lot of the guys loved it every time they came up a lot of people um you know some of the guys didn't grow up in the greatest neighborhoods you know and and um this is a really real thing they come up and and it's such a, they feel very free. You know, I've had guys talk about many times that like, man, I can just walk down the street at night and like, you know, I don't have to worry about anything kind of thing. Um, And they really do love it. You know, Sherrod Baltimore, um, he had a great story on TSN about it, but, but he talked about where he's from and, and the feeling that he gets when he comes to Canada and being able to play up here and how nice everyone is and, and welcoming and across the league. Right. It's like, we always, I always talk about the great cup, how no one really hates anyone. It's like this really big love just for the entire league in general. Um, and he experienced that and loves it, you know, so as weird as it is, as weird as the little things they bring up and the, and the different guys, they really do love it um, for the most part, maybe we'll get into the other side yeah, yeah, yeah. after, <laughs> you know, but for the most part, they they do love it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up Montreal because the reason I made that face is, you know, you can get into a lot of trouble in Montreal if you're looking for it. and If you're looking for it. And, you know, (laughs) I've been out with the boys on the town when you're on a road trip, and it's like, you know, all it takes is just you go down Catherine Street at the right time, and you're going to find something that's going to keep you out until 5 or 6 in the morning. And, you know, I'm not going to say what that is, but – you know let's just say it's 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 taken many uh many a good man to to walk away from those situations but um you know and that's why when i saw johnny manzel get traded to montreal i was like what are they doing oh like, no that's just that's just <laughs> setting the kid up for failure you know hamilton was an okay spot for him and then all of a sudden now he's going to go to montreal it's like you know at least trade him to winnipeg He can't really get into that much trouble in Winnipeg, but uh <laughs> But anyways, no, like very, very valid points. And I mean, yes, we will get into some of the, some of the other stuff, you know, some of the other stuff after, but, you know, Kyle, from your perspective, you know, what kind of things do you see when you're watching college football or maybe in the, you know, in, in the NFL and you're seeing a lot of these guys who might be household names and they're coming up here and they're, you know, suiting up in the CFL.
0: Well, based on my Hall of Fame CFL career, uh, <laughs> don't look it up. Don't Google it. it just trust me. Back. Just take his word for it. Just like <laughs> Brad's word for it. I'm in there. I, I, I did some things in my time. But, uh, you know, I, I think it is a, a huge, huge culture shock because not to get into a giant indictment of the American uh, educational system or anything here, but Canada's a largely unknown quantity. people even like some of the bordering states like minnesota and all of that there they've got a vague notion of sort of what canada is but like you said there kyle like the further south you go the less sort of exposure they have to things even as common as snow let alone canadian way of life or anything like that but i mean you can be told you can read about it, you can have everyone and their grandmother harping on you to buy a parka and all of that. But until you experience a Winnipeg winter, there's no real describing sort of what you're getting yourself in for, especially if you're, you know, live your whole life in Florida or Arkansas or Louisiana or something like that, where snow is a once in a century type thing, phenomenon for you guys there. And uh, you gotta realize too, that for some of these guys coming from a blue blood program where they're cramming in like a hundred hands again for their home games to go from that to then playing in Regina, whose entire population is only 200,000. Like that's unbelievable, right? Like it's a huge, huge adjustment there. And it's, especially if you're an american-born player uh, obviously if you're canadian and you go down south and you play in the states and then you know you get draft and you come back home and you play you, you've at least got that foundation to sort of build off of and you know what to expect but if you've spent your whole life in america you've never been on you know some, some of these southern teams if you played in high school in the deep south you've probably never even been to like Ohio or New York, let alone EC or Winnipeg or Saskatchewan or wherever, right? So you've got to realize like when they come here, it's not just moving across town, right? They've got to pick up their whole life. They've got to figure out a whole new currency. They've got to figure out new bank accounts. They've got to figure out how do I do my taxes if I'm going to split the year, you know, between US and Canada. So it's it's more than just I got drafted here, therefore this is now my life and it's an easy adjustment and I'm just continuing to play football in a different part of the world. Like It is a full lifestyle change and adjustment and a lot of them are leaving behind large parts of their support systems as well too which when you are, I don't know about what you guys were like between the ages of like 20 and 25 there, but I wasn't the smartest guy making the wisest decisions during those times. And uh, thank God that I had my parents essentially cross town or a phone call away or whatnot. But a lot of these guys, like you said, can get into some serious trouble and you can Google it. There's pretty easy, long list of famous flame outs that have happened to big time player down South come up north you figure and like a large part of americans sort of view cfl as ah well it's not the nfl right so you know it's like the 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 little brother league wrong as that opinion might be that's that's what a lot of them sort of view it as so they think that if i was a star at whatever university down south i'm just going to go up there and dominate from day one so when you go up there you've got lost your support system you're in a weird environment that you weren't prepared for and you quickly realize oh I'm not playing against 19 year old kids anymore. I'm playing against grown men who are professionals who have done this their whole life, right? Different set of rules. And suddenly I'm not big man on campus. That is a huge, huge shock to the system for a lot of these guys for sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'm
1: glad you mentioned that because I think you see a lot of these prospects walking away from the game in general, as opposed to at least coming up here and giving it a shot based on a lot of those things you just said. I mean, you know, you talked about doing their taxes and, you know, just like from the, from the fiscal part of it, I think a lot of these guys, you know, it's, it's the old adage, like a lot of the guys used to go to USC that took a pay cut to go play pro football you know and and that that's the thing, like a lot of these guys are used to getting their handheld for everything that like, they get everything paid for, you know on top of their scholarships like everything is is actually done for them and when they come up here and they realize that they're not making millions of dollars, but you know you can still make a really good living living you know playing in the c f l but you're not making you know two three million bucks a year like you know you you hope to make in the n f l a lot of these guys are just hoping, you know, holding out hope and training at home at their local high school for that NFL shot to come instead of coming up here, getting game film on tape, and you know, maybe sticking it out for a year. So, I mean, prime example of that. The guy who came up here, played one year, put everyone in the football world on notice. I was lucky enough to have a front row seat to it. Was Cam Wake. I mean, you talk about a guy, he was out of football for two years when BC brought him into camp. And he came in and dominated the league he sucked it up came up played in canada he had his eye down on the states the whole time and it just so happened that he you know took it seriously he did everything he was supposed to do he wasn't stupid with his money he didn't get in trouble and all of a sudden he gets an nfl shot and then has a long you know borderline hall of fame career down in the nfl but you see these other guys like you know look at ricky williams you know, Ricky Williams had an opportunity to come up here and really cement himself as you know one of the best football players in the world by saying, you know what, I'm going to come up there, I'm going to dominate the Canadian Football League because I can't play in the NFL. I'm going to show people that you know it doesn't matter what the rules are, it doesn't matter you know where I am, you know I, I'm the man. And the guy flamed out because he didn't take it seriously. He looked at it as an inferior step down, which it actually isn't. And that's the thing, like, people don't realize that the that the skill level between CFL players and NFL players is not that much different. It's just a different set of rules, and there's a lot of different intricacies that go in, you know, with CFL football and NFL football that, you know, they you know provide advantages to certain players where they don't provide advantages to others. I mean, Brad, you're a receiver. You know, in the NFL, you don't have the advantage of having a run-up. In the CFL, you do. So if you're a high level receiver who doesn't get an NFL shot and you say, Oh shit, I get a full run up on these defensive backs who can't move, and now I can actually start my route like that. That's a big selling point for a lot of these guys who are coming up here and looking for that opportunity. Whereas if I'm a defensive back, it's like, holy fuck, these guys get to run at me and I gotta stay flat footed. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's
2: funny because like that's where you know rules matter. I think, uh, at certain positions, they matter, you know, more than others. Um, I think if, you know, on the line, I'm sure guys will argue that the yard off does matter. And I know it does. I wouldn't say that it matters maybe as much as a receiver DB, um, and quarterback, you know, because having an extra guy on the field is just (laughs) completely throws you off from what they're used to. Right. Um, but the rules matter because you know anyone that's ever come up, and I'm I'm thinking back to a couple guys, um, in my first year in Calgary. I'm not going to name any names because I'm going to go back to what you said about coming from a big program. Um, there was a player that was a pretty prominent uh, quarterback, um, switched to receiver, and he was at a big time school. And I remember him saying, telling me stories about you know because I asked, I was young, curious, you know, uh, watched these had heard some things so I wanted to know. So I asked him about, um, you know, getting paid in college and stuff like this. And I remember him telling me if we played good, you would get a certain amount of cash in your locker after game, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, and that amount of cash was about half of the salary he was getting for that year. Right. <laughs> a little bit more. So, um, just kind of puts in perspective where, what they came from, which I know is illegal, but we all kind of knew was going on. Um, and, It's funny because he was kind of laissez-faire, like I'm up here for a good time. It's not that I don't care, but I'm not really that into it kind of thing. And it didn't really work out. There's the other guys that do embrace the rules changes and embrace the fact that like, okay, I can become uh, a, a star up here, right? There's a lot of star American receivers and players, obviously, that become the face of the CFL and they love it. And, and I think it's after that happens that they realized, you know, thank goodness that I took it seriously and I love football and kept going and didn't think of it as a, a, a smaller league than the NFL. And I'm sure they would love to be like, a, you talk to anyone, even in Canadians. Yeah. I would love to be getting paid millions. Right. Um, but you're in this league for a yeah. reason. So you might as well make the most of it. Um, but I, I really think that you could really tell right away. There were certain guys that, even as some of the best athletes I saw never made it because they had a really hard time adjusting to the fact that it's not just about, um, you know, being a, a, I don't want to say a robot, but the NFL is very cookie cutter in terms of how they do offenses and route running. And the CFL is spaced out. It's, it's more of a dynamic feel type of thing going on on offense and on defense. Like, if you talk to anyone on offense, go to an offense meeting room right now. Most of the time, it's like, well, this looks like cover four, but it could be Matt. You know, it's, well, we'll just call it umbrella. Kind of like it's it's so dynamic and nothing is super defined that you're always kind of guessing. It's not like the typical, this is cover two exactly like the States. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like that. And I, I think even on offense, the route right running isn't like that. Plays don't look like that. All of the motion adds this fluidity that they're not used to. There are certain guys that see that and take advantage of it and realize I don't have to be running 100 miles an hour. It's not about that. Now it's about controlling your body and just being in the right spots and using using the waggle for leverage, not for speed. Yeah. Although it is good, but there's very rare is there one-on-one battles where it's like you know, one-on-ones in camp can be deceptive because you can look at a guy and be like, No one can stop him, of course, because all he's running is fades and goes and and long balls. And who's going to stop that? But the reality is when there's the rest of the defense on the field, you know, it's not that simple. You have to be able to slow down and and feel the pockets and the spaces. And um, there has to be an intelligence to the game. And there has to be a willingness to put the work in to understand that. Whereas a lot of guys came from a system that said the play and just said X post or whatever the name is, do this kind of thing right because they were so good that you could just tell them what to do in the huddle yeah and i think the big shock is it's not like that when you get up here you have to know the whole play call you have to understand the spacing and all that stuff so um it's pretty clear though right away you'll tell when a guy probably is going to be able to get it and a guy that probably isn't unfortunately and um you do see that door open and shut pretty quick for them so it's very interesting to be around that and see it
1: yeah, a hundred percent, man. And I'm glad you mentioned the term spacing because that was, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to hit on, you know, especially with, you know, you're talking about the receiver waggles and you're talking about the yard off the line of scrimmage. So for those of you who don't know in the States in the NCAA and the the NFL defensive and offensive linemen are literally right on top of each other on the line of scrimmage in the CFL defenders have to be a yard off the ball. And it might not seem like a big deal, but it is a massive deal for a lot of guys. Now, you know, I, I've done, you know, one-on-ones, you know, a long, long time ago, couldn't do one if I tried today, but long, long time ago, I would do one-on-ones with a lot of these guys just to get a feel for what it was like to be, you know, on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, because I had very quick hands and I was able to, you know, mirror people with my feet very well, that was like taking candy from a baby. But then when you move that yard off the ball, now you got some of these guys who are getting ahead of steam. And especially my first reps in training camp were against Cam Wink. You're talking about a guy who prides himself on having that dynamite first step. And I'm trying to get all the way out there. And he's playing a wide nine technique. And I'm trying to get all the way out there together. There's no absolutely no way I'm going to be able to get a hand on him. I just got to make sure I get him off his track a little bit just to you know get him by the quarterback. And hopefully Dave or Buck or whoever you know, was, was the quarterback that day was stepping up in the pocket because I wasn't touching him. But you know a lot of guys, and you know, I'll, I'll use two examples of, again, just two guys that i played with. You know, it was a, the difference of night and day. Like Rob Murphy, one of the all-time great left tackles in the CFL. Ohio State, All-American, you know, dominated at, at guard, you know, at Ohio State. Comes up here, they move the left tackle, and he's able to make the transition because he's got good feet and he uses his hands well. Now you look at another guy, Amariah Farrow. You probably never heard his name before. The guy was six foot eight, 340 pounds from Mississippi <laughs> State. He was an, He was the biggest man I've ever seen in my life. And when you looked at him and you looked at him do, you know, work through drills, like this guy's dynamite. He's knocking like the, you know, the sled over. He's the strongest person on the field, but that yard off the ball, he couldn't compute it in his mind as to, well, I don't have the guy right in front of me and my six, 11 or seven foot wingspan that I'm used to, you know, getting my hands on that person right away. I don't have that luxury anymore. So he actually struggled where you didn't think he would, you know, he would have to struggle. Whereas a guy like Rob Murphy, who never played tackle in college, you know, maybe saved for a couple of games here and there, came up here, and all of a sudden now he's one of the best you know, offensive linemen in league history. So the spacing of the CFL is so different, and that's why a lot of these guys have come up here that's like, fuck, I can't do this. You know, I'm, I've been playing this one style my whole life. I can't do it. And the guy that I was going to bring up, Brad, that, that you played against that made that transition very easy from a receiver perspective was Adarius Bowman. Darius Bowman yep. was an All-American at Oklahoma State. He was a Bolitnikov, um, not recipient, but he was a candidate, which is uh, indicative of you know the best receiver in, in college football down the NCAA. He gets drafted in the NFL. doesn't work out, so he comes up here. And again, one of those guys who embraced the change and really took it upon himself to make himself better and utilize the different techniques and skill sets that you get in the CFL. And look at the career that guy had. I mean, the
2: guy, the guy was, go ahead. Well, no, you're sorry to cut you off. Blame it on my internet, Uh, (laughs) but you're, you're right because he's a prime example of a guy that um, got it right away that you didn't have to be the fastest guy in the field to be the best guy on the field. Whereas I think it's the reverse down South. Everything is, is so um, focused on what your 40 time is you know, how quick you are off the line. Everything is speed, speed, speed. And um, it's just not, that's not the reality of of the CFL, you know. And uh, another guy I was going to say was uh, Kenyon Rambo, who played at Ohio State, um, you know, was a great player, just didn't work out in the long term in the NFL. And I remember watching him as a a young guy, just thinking that he was the smoothest runner I've ever seen. And he wasn't going to run away from anyone. Uh, If he wanted to, he probably could have. But he never needed to. He just was so smooth and understood spacing and timing. And, you know, it it does help. I think it's interesting because a a lot of guys that came in to Calgary were coached by very smart people as well when they got there. You know, and I, I think that if you have the right people there coaching you that are Americans that adjusted to the game very well, not coaches that are American that still kind of hold this American outlook on offense. You know, I've been around some of those where it's like, that's great that that works down there, but it, it's, you know, it, you have to adjust it up here. And, um, you know, Dave Dickinson, Huff, like all those guys were super successful in the CFL coming from down South. So they, they knew, I think also what to look for in players, which made them, easily adjust uh but they could teach it really well like dave was a master of of timing and spacing because he was a small quarterback and that's what he needed to do right so i think having the right people in place helps and and having the right receivers you know nick lewis like nick lewis there's no way when you look at, at nick lewis that he should have been able to do the things he did past even five six years in his career yeah right up until he retired, it's like he's still getting open and still finding the space and and catching the ball. It's it's he's like the prime example of you know, you can literally be jogging on the field and get open. <laughs> yeah. Um, but because he just was so much smarter than everyone else on the yeah. field. And so, um, you know, but uh yeah, the, the guys, man, some of the guys, the best athlete the best athletes they never made it. They just, uh, it it was all up there and had nothing to do with their ability, but, um, you know, pretty amazing to to think back. And and some of the guys, like you said, Ricky Williams didn't make it, uh, Troy Smith. You know, I remember watching him at Ohio state, like this guy was a, the stud, like the guy. Yeah. And to see them come up and be like, who's this guy? (laughs) You know, it's, it's weird, but it, it gives you a sense again of how the players up here, you know, it's it's really not
1: that far off, like you said. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up coaching too, because you know that was going to be something I wanted to bring up. And Kyle, I get your take on this too. But you I mean you look at a lot of these American coaches who come up here, and it's the same thing, like they have to adapt to the game just as much as the players do because they're having you know, they have to teach the players how to adapt to the Canadian game. And for all of the Huff and the Mark Tresmans of the world who are able to you know flip back and forth and do a really good job. You know, you end up with guys like Mike Sherman, who you know they do what they do down in the states. They have success at the NCAA level. They have success with Green Bay Packers, and then they come up here and okay, now I don't. I look like a complete asshole because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm trying to call an American game with a Canadian team, and again, you saw the you know the absolute disaster that Montreal was when he was at the helm there. Unfortunately, it happens. So, you know, Kyle, you know, talking from a coaching perspective, you know, when you're looking at, you know, how to identify, you know, a good, you know, let's just say coaching staff that's going to, you know, be able to, you know, teach these guys how to play the Canadian game properly. You know, what should, you know, some of these teams be looking for in order to actually, you know, get the most out of the guys?
0: Well, It's a million dollar question right there because I think if I had the definitive answer, I would be uh, very lucratively employed by the (laughs) CFL at some point there. But I mean, it really does come down to, I think, identifying the people who are true students of the game, as opposed to products of a system. Right. Right. There are some absolute freak athletes who have relied on speed or just being having a ridiculous 40-inch vertical or something like that and being able to high point the ball and just being better at their position than the 19-year-old that was lining up against them and just relying on that. But are they true students of the game? Are they people who are able to be coached up and learn the intricacies of a new league new system new field new you know parameters around everything like it's it's not just as simple as coming up and it being going from four downs to three downs and everything's kosher from there like it is an entirely different offense and defense that you're installing there so you need to find from a coaching staff people who are phenomenal teachers people that aren't just x's and o's guys who can scheme with the best of them there you need to be able to convey that to these young people that are coming into the league, learning a new system, learning a new everything there. Like, if you look at a case of, I mean, Doug Flutie was arguably one of the greatest CFL quarterbacks of all time, already had NFL experience, was the man when he was in NCAA. He still struggled in year one when he was with the BC Lions there. And it wasn't until he finally started figuring out okay what does work what doesn't work at the cfl level that he ultimately went on to have all of that success and become cfl hall of famer and all all of that good stuff there joining me in the cfl hall of fame as we mentioned earlier (laughs) but like you take the opposite approach there like our friend johnny manziel who i mean (laughs) there were red flags with him even when he was with (laughs) texas a&m you know but this was a guy who Jerry Jones needed to be physically restrained by Cowboy staffers to not draft him. Like this, this was how surefire of a prospect he was supposed to be. He was supposed to be a can't miss guy. 2012 Heisman comes up here. Doesn't even start in Hamilton, right? he was just sat on the bench for six weeks with the tie gets flipped to Montreal. And then I, I think it was like five touchdowns and seven picks or something like it, it was a, Less than uh, enthusiastic reception that he got up there in Montreal because this was a guy who thought he knew everything already and clearly didn't connect with that coaching staff over there and they couldn't get through to him. And just fizzled out. Like I think he's literally playing in something called the Fan Control Football League right now, which I, I don't even know. I, I think literally via Twitter, you like vote on what the next play is going to be. Like, anyways.
1: talk to Kevin about that. He's a uh, he's actually one of the uh, armchair GMs.
0: <laughs> oh, there, there you go. So he he's heavily invested in it. There, so <laughs> we'll I'll have to get Kev's take next week when he's back. But uh, like, it, it, it's such a glaring example of. Here's one guy who embraced the changes and Doug Flutie and was coachable and took what the coaches were saying to him to heart versus someone who came from a big program thought, I already know the answer to everything. I'm God's gift to football. You can't tell me anything. I should already still be in the NFL right now. And look how quickly he fizzled out. Yeah. So I, I've got kind of a theory that I'm actually interested in throwing back to you guys here too, is some of these players who come from the States if they come up to the CFL and ultimately end up changing positions, so let's say a quarterback who becomes a wide receiver or, you know, a running back who becomes a wide receiver, something like that, who have to learn essentially a new position, do you got, have you guys found in your experience that they ultimately transition better to the CFL because they're approaching it as I'm a blank slate, I played whatever, you know, quarterback my whole life, I don't know wide receiver routes other than, you know, me telling him to go and run this there and they end up Transitioning a little bit better versus some of the guys who were big man on campus. This is the system I'm comfortable with. I've run it since I was in high school, and then they get to the CFL and fall flat on their face.
1: Well, well, Brad, you don't know anything about that, so so why don't why don't you start? Maybe you can.
0: uh... Yeah, there's a reason when I heard Brad was coming on, there kind of came up with that one. There.
2: Well, that's it's interesting. I'm actually thinking of anyone that that has made a transition, um, you know, like there's some running backs that all of a sudden they're asked to do a lot more in the pass game, for Mm -hmm. instance, right. Because we, we didn't, we don't really truly have the tailback fullback position. The fullback position for us up here is, is so different than down South. There's one guy that I, that I can remember that came in as a quarterback um the year before i got there and switched to receiver and he only lasted one year and i don't know you know i don't know the whole deal with him but i do know that it did take a little bit of wit- wind out of his sail because he came from a big school and he was a big man on campus but he he wasn't a throwing quarterback right so he was an athletic quarterback um that you would think actually fits perfectly for the CFL, right? Like that's whenever you see that Johnny Manziel, like, okay, you can throw that's good, but you're also a scrambler. You can run, you have the ability, that whole thing plays into it. But I really don't think that that actually translates as well as they always think it should in the CFL. But when he made the switch, you know, I think he was a little bit lost, like lost identity, just kind of had a tough time with, I mean, he was having a tough time with a playbook already. Um, but yeah, I, that's an interesting question. I, I'm not sure on defense, you know, I can imagine it's probably tougher on defense. Um, you know, if you were a corner your whole life and then all of a sudden they stick you in the strong side half and it's like, you know, you're really on no man's land now. You're sitting there with the guys getting full steam run at you and all these different routes. And, um, but yeah, I don't know, you know, it's, unless anyone else knows of any other prominent guys that made a switch, I really can't think of anyone else other than this one guy. I'm, I'm going to refrain from using games too, just because I don't want to, you know, say anything bad about anyone. If, but um, yeah, I can't think of any, anyone else really that, that yeah. kind
1: of, yeah, I don't know. Kyle, what do you think? Yeah. You know, I, I think this goes to, you have to have a very educated scouting staff, in the CFL more than any other league because, you know, like we're talking about, you have to go after smart players instead of, you know, just pure talent. So, you know, again, I'll I'll just use my own experience because I I know how they work together. Like, you know, fortunate enough to go to to an organization that, you know, was run by Wally Buono. You know, Wally Buono is one of the, if not the greatest CFL coach of all time. But the guy who ran a lot of the scouting, was again Brad, you'll know him, former you know, U Ottawa football coach Bob Obilovich. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he ran the scouting department for BC, and he was the guy who was going out and finding a lot of these diamonds in the rough that they were bringing up. Like, he went and found Tyrone Williams, who was a stud three tech, you know, for BC for years. You know, he found uh, Cam Wake, he went and got guys like Ryan Phillips, um, you know, Dante Marsh. Uh, Dave Dickinson, you know, Buck Pierce. Like he he's the one who found these guys. And not to say that you can't turn a specific player into something. I mean, it, it all depends on what situation that they're in. A good coach is a good coach. They're gonna get the best out of whatever player. But when you can go down and say, okay, this is how we want to build our roster, and we need to find guys who understand it. I'd rather have a guy understand the playbook from day one and be able to run it to hundred percent efficiency to their skill level than to get a guy who might be, you know, if I can get this guy to figure it out, he's going to be a game changer, but then there's a 5% chance that he figures it out and 95, you know, 95% chance he's going to fuck up every play. So when you're going and having that U S scouting staff, that's going and, you know, evaluating players who, okay, I got to say, He probably will get drafted in the NFL, but I don't see him lasting for long. So you might have to wait for a little bit, put him on a negotiation list. And then over time, we'll have his rights and we'll get him up here. So you have to be so diligent in how you scout because there's so many players down in the NCAA. It's insane how many, how many schools are down there. You can find the right guys. You just got to know where to look, you know, much like your fishing comment, Brad. You know, you, you just – you have to know where you're going to get these players. You know the schools in Canada, they're going to pump out good professional players year over year over year. In the States, again, it's more of a crapshoot. That's what you have to have. Okay, if I'm going down and I'm responsible for the northeast, you know, section of the States, you know, I'm probably not going to get a lot of these, you know, power five conference guys. So I got to focus a lot of my attention on mid-majors. I got to focus my attention on independence and then div one, div two, div three. That's where I got to make my money. So when you're going down there, you're going to the schools like Buffalo, like Eastern Michigan, like Central Michigan, uh, Kent State, you know, schools like that, that they've got athletes, but they just don't have the national spotlight. So a lot of these NFL teams might fall in love with uh, you know, the Ohio State, the Alabamas, the, you know, the LSUs. But a lot of these other guys get overlooked. Like some of the best players that have come from the CFL, they're div two guys. Like, look at all the North Dakotas, all the Montanas, all the Wyomings. Like, these are the guys who are really excelling up here because they're given a shot and they're smart football players. So, you know, that's, you know, really, I think the biggest thing that CFL, you know, departments have to really understand is that it's more than just, okay, this guy's a free agent. Holy shit, Johnny Manziel is there. I'm going to sell some tickets by signing him. Sure. Go ahead and do that. If that's your objection, you know, or if that's your objective and your ownership group wants to sell out the stadium, cause you know, it's going to happen. But if you want to put out a good product, you look at the successful teams, Calgary has been successful. I think my whole life, never once have they been one of the bottom teams of Brad, you played in that organization. You know, them better than anybody, you know, what Wally Buono was able to establish there, passing on to John Huffnagel, which has now been passed on to Dave Dickinson, there's a culture yep. there and an understanding of what they look for in players. And when you can say, I went and got Charleston Hughes when no one knew who Charleston Hughes was, and now all of a sudden, he's going to have a Canadian Hall of Fame career. Like, that, that's what you look for. And that's the type of thing. And again, once you establish that, it's just like recruiting in, in college. You set up pipelines at these schools down in the States. So, you know, if I'm going to Lindenwood, you know, and it's a Div 2 school. But I got two guys from there over the last five years who are absolutely, you know, amazing football players. Do you not think that that coach is going to tell them, you know, yeah, Coach Sinopoli, you know, from, uh, from the Stampeders, you know, he, he runs a good program up there. He'll get you better. You'll make some money up there, and, you know, you'll get a shot at the NFL within five years of going to play for him. Those guys are going to take that seriously and go up and bust their balls for that organization. So that's the type of thing. And, you know, I I use the college moniker because that's essentially how you have to do it. You have to go and recruit effectively. It's not just about, you know, scouting and evaluating talent. You got to go recruit and set up those pipelines because a lot of these agents, a lot of these coaches, they're relying on colleagues of theirs. They're relying on the word of former players because they don't know what it's like. Because again, they're in this bubble down in the U.S., we're in this bubble up here in Canada. Mm-hmm. So they have to understand what we do just as much as we have to understand what they do. So I think that's where you get to. And that's again, the difference between, you know, Doug Flutie having the fortune of going to Toronto and playing for Wally Buono, as opposed to Johnny Manziel getting traded to Montreal and playing for Mike Sherman.
2: It's interesting too, because, you know, I think um, you, like Calgary, you're right. They've been good forever. I think one thing that they do really well when they scout um, and I do know that they look for guys that, you know, and I'm talking from the offensive side, they look for guys that do similar things to what they're doing. Right. So you can look at receivers, you can see routes that they're running. Um, you can see that they are going to translate what they're doing easily, not easily, but, but probably pretty easily or very well to, to the canadian game they're going to be able to do, communicate you know when they get up here and i've heard the conversations of it's just like this what you did at your school yeah. you know it's just like how you run this and to them it's easy now all you're doing is adding something like the waggle um, you're adding the fact that you know you're not always one-on-one so you're going to have this space here it's going to be bigger this hole is going to be bigger when you're making this move like they i know actively look for people um that are going to fit what they're doing, not just, hey, this guy's a freak. He had this many yards or he, you know, all the um, the testing that they do. And, and quarterbacks, too, like, they look at – tell me what quarterback in the CFL has come from a big-name school that's been super successful. You know, like, all of these guys are from no-name schools, essentially. Sorry, but they are, right? Yeah, and they come it's up it's true. Here and it's like – what you know, it, it's it blows my mind, but um, aside from maybe you know, you could uh make the argument that Bo Levi, when you win a national championship, you know, in your uh, I can't remember what is it, division one AA he's from, one double A, yeah, one AA. So you know, okay, that's great, you won national championship, but you're from you know, middle of the pack, not even division one. you're up here and you're going to be one of the best quarterbacks to ever play in the league. Right. It's, it's just very interesting to me. And I really think that it's because they find the people that fit the game, not finding the star in college.
1: Right. Well, you know, you you speak about Calgary and finding a fit. I mean, you know, to, to kind of, you know, move towards the end of, of our discussion here, you look at a guy that you and I know really well, uh, Brad in, in Henry, you know, Henry played at Temple University, not really known to be a college football power, but, you know, comes up here, you know, he goes to the NFL, gets a shot with Green Bay, you know, he's, he's doing his thing, doesn't work out. Who brings him in? Calgary Stampeders. So he comes into a system, you know, really starts to mesh well with it. And, you know, you see the the rest is history with him, right? Like he, he established himself as, you know, really the... You know and again, like that was kind of like the you know, the, the iconic phase of CFL quarterbacks, like with Ricky Ray from Sacramento State, with Anthony Calvillo from I think it was New Mexico, I, I believe. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, you're looking at those guys, like you know, just imagine those three guys were going head to head to head in great cups every single year, and all coming from these smaller schools, but because you know these I you know talent identifiers in the CFL saw. You know, I can make Henry Burris, you know, I know our coaching staff can make Henry Burris into the best version of himself and he'll excel up here. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's true. You know, the old adage, whenever an athlete's coming up, it's like, you know, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to get your name out there or whatever. If you're good enough, someone's going to find you. And it's a hundred percent accurate, especially with the CFL.
0: Yeah, I think if I'm running an NFL franchise, I'm probably stocking my scout room full of CFL scouts. Because like you guys were both alluding to there, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to go and identify the Trevor Lawrences and Joe Burrows of the world there. It's pretty obvious that they're, they're going to be <laughs> his prospects at that level. But when your entire job is scouting players and drafting players who not only do they have to be good fits for your organization, well, there has to be an outside chance that they actually sign with you and have an interest in coming north. It's not just a matter yep. of, oh, well, the CFL draft just mirrors the NFL draft because the league wouldn't function that way. Right. So you really need to make your bones in these hidden gems. And like I would essentially just have my whatever NFL staff do the first two rounds and then, all right, boys, they're out of the room. (laughs) CFL take over because this is where you're going to find those real late round gems who end up being impact players at the CFL, NFL, whatever level. And I mean, it's really a testament to the work that these scouting staffs put in up here and the legacies and the players they are able to develop. It's really quite remarkable for sure. Yeah,
1: it's paramount. And I mean, you know anybody who follows the CFL is, you know, um, you're gonna see. It's it's a good brand of football. I mean, obviously we talked about it, it gets the stipulation that you know, yeah, it's not the NFL, but but again, when you're playing in the game and you're you're seeing all these guys coming up from down at these big schools down there, there's so much more to it than just you know being talented. Being a smart football player is gonna put you in a position to win nine times out of ten. Yes, you're gonna get beat by the better athlete, you know, every now and again. But again, that's why we play the game. So I, I think the transition, going back to the overall topic, the transition that American players and coaches ultimately face when they come up to play in the Canadian game, it's it's so much more than what it looks like on the surface. So, you know, whether it's the culture, whether it's the city, whether it's the playbook, whether it's you know, the weather, you know, whether it's the nightlife, you know, it doesn't matter what it is there's so many things that have to go right for these players coming up from down in the States to perform at the top level in the CFL. And I think ultimately, I hope that's what, you know, uh, going to our listener, Brad, the rock, I hope that's where you were going and wanted to understand when you, you know, suggested this topic. But again, anybody who's listening to this, hopefully you got a little bit more of an insight on, you know, how difficult it is to actually transition from playing, four downs with no yard off the ball completely set, you know, a different set of rules with a different, you know, weather system and, you know, and ultimately a different culture when it comes to, you know, from monetary to, to, you know, to, to uh, other things. Um, but again, guys, that, that was fantastic. And I'm really glad that we had that talk because I think we got a lot of stuff out in the open and I'm sure we could have this discussion for a long time, just based on some of the stories that, uh, that you and I have Brad. but, uh, you know again, we'll save that for for the next time we have to call on you guys to jump on and uh and and help out here, but again, can't thank you guys enough for for stepping up tonight and uh and really taking the bull by the horns and ultimately doing a much better job than than jet and kev. I don't think we have to edit out anything so <laughs> <laughs> way i way better, yeah. I know they'll be happy too because they got the night <laughs> off. So I, I'm, I'm going to text Kevin right now to see how his, uh, how his basement's doing. He's probably fucking swimming down there. He might still be working. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, Brad can't thank you enough, man. This is always fun when uh, we can get you chatting about, uh, you know, some of that stuff and obviously let us know whenever uh, we're going out in the boat and uh, recording our live show from, uh, from the lake.
2: Yeah. I'll let you know, I got to check my, uh my, limit for the boat
1: before i invite uh,
2: all of you guys on <laughs> but i'll let you know <laughs> okay
1: just uh, i'll bring a little dinghy you know that you control behind and i'll just sit in the. you can uh,
2: just stick you to the back <laughs> yeah
1: i'll just i'll just drink beer in my little uh, water donut um and then you know kyle obviously you and i talk every week but uh, again great to have you actually on this side of the show i know you're going to be back on the other side you know right after we're done kind of understanding what we want to put in take out all that kind of good stuff but thanks again man really appreciate it
0: anytime shoot up the bat signal and i'll be here to help you out whenever you need but
1: likewise brother um and before we we sign off um actually kyle's got with the the dynasty league podcast that he's running a pretty unique fantasy league going on this fall and uh, i know brad you and i have kind of talked about uh know joining up and and being a participant on that so you guys can discuss that uh, when we're off the air but uh, anybody who's looking to follow that the dynasty league fantasy football competition let's just put it that way uh, that's happening this fall all for charity we've got some you know pods versus pros so a lot of local podcasts versus uh, professional athletes tsn personalities uh, it's really looking. It's going to be a lot of fun, and all the you know all the money that uh, that the winners get is going straight to uh, to the charity of their choice. So, for anyone who's looking to follow that, please uh, keep following all of us on social media. We'll be sure to to blast it out there and and have some fun this fall. And um, I can't
0: wait to try and see you, Kevin, chat coexist as co-owners of the same team. There, it's going to be. We, uh,
1: we all know who's running that team. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, on that note, guys, again, thank you. And uh, thank you to all the listeners out there. Please uh, continue to rate, review and subscribe and uh, go get your body fixed at Human 2.0. And afterwards, go reward yourself by cramming some barbecue in your face at uh, the Smoke Shack and BTP Smokehouse. And on that note, we will do this all again next week with, uh, with the regular group. And uh, I'm dreading that. I got to say, I'm dreading that. But let's, uh, let's keep our eyes on the CFL this weekend, guys, and see who, uh, who comes out on top of that, uh, with that weird weekly wager.
0: Hell of a show. Hell of a show.